Israel's only Israel's only saviour. But now, this is what the Lord says: He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honoured in, in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you. Nations in exchange for your life, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. Which of their God foretold this? That is the upper Nile region and proclaim for us the former things. <coughs> Excuse me. Let them bring in their witness to prove they were, they were right so, so that others may hear and say, it is true, you are my witness declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Excuse me. Before me, God was formed. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no saviour. I have proclaimed, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse, who can reverse it? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mike. Bless you. We finally got there. Hallelujah. All right. So we find in today in Isaiah 43 that the people are in a desperate situation. Uh, they're described in 42 as, uh, as blind and deaf and imprisoned in darkness. God's patience has worn and out. Um, and, and it sounds strange, but God's on a warpath. I want you to listen, actually, just to chapter 42. I'll th- tell you this because I think it sets up today's passage really well. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal with a shout. He will rise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. For a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountain and the hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up in the pools. I'll do that because I think it sets up today's sermon really well. It sounds like there's no hope for God's people. It appears that disaster 
has fallen on them. But when we come to chapter 43, and when this comes as a dramatic change of tone, the message turns from one of danger, from the fire of God's wrath, to a promise of salvation and rescue from the flames. It appears to me that God is punishing them, but that doesn't mean he's abandoned them. I seem to have said this a lot over the last few months. God has never abandoned us, and it's the same with Israel. God is punishing them, but that doesn't mean he's abandoned them. In fact, he's like a loving father who knows his child is to be punished. The reason being is to bring them back to God, back to him. So he reminds them of who they are and reminds them that he made them what they are. He says, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. The people need to be reminded where they came from. It wasn't just a random one of many nations of the time that God decided to give his name to. No, he created them from nothing. He chose Abraham to become the father of a brand new nation. And 400 years later, through the exodus from Egypt, he formed the nation into a united, unified nation with Yahweh, with him as their God. He did that by redeeming them, releasing them from slavery, slavery to Egypt. Even though it took 40 years of both God and Moses' patience, they were a real testing lot. I'm sure we're all a real testing lot at times to God. I don't know if I've, I, don't, I don't know where I preach this, but we were on about Moses. It might have been here, but I was saying about Moses and the Exodus. How it took um, it took 40 years from 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 Egypt to Canaan. It's only 110 miles from Egypt to Canaan. Forgive me if I told you this. I know I said to Sunday, but it it, it wasn't the, that it could have took two weeks from for God's people to get from there to there. It were all that stuff in between the fact that they wouldn't listen to God and they kept getting it wrong and it took God 40 years to teach them to get it right to do an hundred to do a two two week journey 400 years 40 years a real testing lot like I say just like us but now they've been punished for the sins we find God is starting to redeem them again bringing them out of slavery to be his own to his own people in their own land. And just to show them how much he cares for this nation, God goes on to cement their identity. He says, I have called you by your name and you are mine. In the ancient culture of the day, in the East, to call someone by name had the idea of exercising authority over them. So here God is saying to them that he gives it to them. He gives them ownership of the name. This nation are his people, God's people, Israel. And later on he tells them in verse 4, you are precious and honoured in my sight and because I love you. So because of this, God tells them what's about to happen. So what is about to happen to them? One thing we've got to remember is that this is all prophesied by Isaiah. Isaiah is prophesying future events which actually all took place. But first, I think we've got to take a brief look at what Isaiah is actually prophesying and what has happened to them up to this point. Because in an act of God's judgment, Israel's kingdom came crashing down. It sent, it sent them into exile. 
Jerusalem fell to Babylon, mainly because there were issues of rebellion, idolatry and injustice, not dissimilar to the time in the wilderness in Exodus when it took them 40 years. But God has an overall plan, which is for a new Jerusalem with justice and peace for all nations. God is going to bring them back from Babylon through the desert, across the rivers, a long journey. And he's not pretending that it's going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of suffering, but God will limit it to what they can bear. There'll be waters to cross, trials by fire to go through. But in all that, God tells them that he's going to be with them. God's never going to let him go. He tells them, I will protect you. Even in the extremes of suffering, God will keep his people safe. The waters won't crush them. The fires won't burn them. It reminds me of the story of Daniel's, Daniel's uh, three friends being thrown, in, in, thrown into the fiery furnace, uh, furnace in Babylon. Babylon. Sorry, forgive me today. Or it might simply be a reference to the burning of God's anger towards them. In any case, God promises to keep them safe, to keep the flames from consuming them. And God tells us a, a similar thing in, uh, it's in 1 Peter. It's just, it's a different translation, it says. In 1 Peter, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. To assure them that he will keep his promise to redeem them, God reminds them that he's ransomed them before. He's already given Egypt and Ethiopia in Sheba in exchange for them. And that's how precious these people are to God. Verse 4 again says, Since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. What could be better than that? What more could show us how much God loves us more than that? Nothing. Unless, of course, he were to give you his own son in return for us. And then he makes a great claim of the gospel. I will call you from the far ends of the earth. In fact, it's expressed as a command. Verse 6 says, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away, my daughters from the ends of the earth. It's a bit different to the picture we get in the parable of the prodigal son or the waiting father. God isn't just waiting for us to make up our minds. He's actually going to go out to bring us home. He's actively calling us to return to him. And this is where we get the idea of election or predestination with people whom God has chosen and called out the world to be his people. That's why, that's why we're called to be different as Christians. I seem to have preached on that a lot over these last few months. We've got to be different. People say, why, why have we got to be different? Surely we should just blend in, but no. People have got to be seen that, you've got to see that we, we're different. You know, and what a difference God makes in our lives. And that's why you go out and check out and you start your different conversations. We're different, we're Christian people. Jesus will save us. And that's what we find in verse 7. It says, Everyone who is called by name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. To Isaiah and his listeners, that meant that the nation of Israel, but of course, 
It's for us as well, as a far greater company than that. In, in, in Romans 8, Paul puts it like this. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you see how this prophecy expands as time moves on? It, it was written to Israel as they were about to go into exile to assure them of God's purpose for them. But it's also written to us to remind us who we are. We are those who are called by God's name whom we created for his glory. So we continue to start to discover Jesus, the true Israel and the redeemer of Israel. We see that expansion of a vision happening even more in the next few verses as the focus shifts again. God puts out a challenge to all those false gods and false religions. He says, bring your witnesses to prove that you have something to do with the things that have happened in this world. But in fact, the only ones who can bear witness to the truth is God's servants. And what does he call them? He, he calls them his servants. He calls Israel his servants. Now that should immediately ring bells for anyone who's read Isaiah before. Because I said Isaiah is a prophecy. Who is the servant in Isaiah? Who's this servant that Isaiah talks about? Well, at first glance, it appears to be Israel. But as you read through the book, you realise that the task of the servant is far more than anything that Israel's ever going to perform. The, the servant is to be a witness and a sacrifice who will save his people from their sins. And of course, what we discover when we get to the New Testament is that service, uh, that servant is in fact Jesus himself. Jesus is both Israel and the servant all wrapped up in one person. He's the one who will witness to the truth about God. When Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night, one of the things that Jesus said to him was this, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to, to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. In John 8, again, Jesus says, in your law it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. Two witnesses, Israel, Jesus. I testify on my behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. And of course, the reason he comes is to give his life as a ransom for many. He's the one who dies on a cross to redeem his people, to save them from their sins, to, to, to save us from our sins. For us, the message is fear not, for Christ has redeemed you. We stand before God justified by Jesus' death and resurrection. Those whom he called, he also justifies. And that gives, that gives us a great hope because those whom he justifies, he also glorifies. But of course, all that leads to another conclusion. You see, it's not just that God has redeemed us and sent Jesus to forgive us for our sins. It's actually much bigger than that. God has called his people 
That is that we, we are the new Israel. Everything the people of Israel were meant to be now applies to us. We're to live out the sort of life that God has planned for his people for an eternity. Loving one another, caring for one another, loving and obeying our God because he is our God. And of course, like Israel, we're called on to be God's witnesses to those around us. We're to be people who show to those who have no faith in God or who worship some other God that God is real, that he's active in our world and that life as part of the people of God is a good and rich, satisfying life. I I wonder if that's why God spoke to me this morning about going out in Market Square and, and, and telling people, about who he is and what a difference he makes to all of us. Because that's what he calls us to do. That's what he calls everyone to do. The title of this series is God Reveals God in Israel. God reveals God in Jesus Christ. God reveals himself in us. And we reveal him by going out and telling other people. It's precious, isn't it? It's precious, is God. It's not something you just want to keep on to yourself. It's something you want to, you want to, I, I get this, I despair with some people that they'll, they'll say, oh, I, I believe there's a bigger summit, but I'm not sure what it is. And I'm like, he's staring you in face. God's there. He's precious. He's like a pearl. Take him, grab hold of him. What a difference he makes to your lives and to those people around you. Being a witness to the reality of God, it can be a dangerous pastime. That's why Peter warns his readers about the fiery, the fiery ordeal that is taking place among them. The, the promise is here that no matter how great that fire may be, God will keep us safe. God will help us to persevere. Let's remember this as we go through this week to come, as we journey towards Christmas as the children are doing. Because it's written for us here, fear not, fear, uh, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name and you are mine. That's what God's saying to every one of you here this morning. Fear not, I have called you by your name. You are mine. To summarise, God is punishing Israel, but he's not abandoned them. He's a loving father who knows his child must be punished, but only to bring them back to him. We're to show to those who have no faith in God that God is real and active in this world. But brothers and sisters, it's for us to go out and tell. We can all sit here this morning as converted, but what do we do with it? You know, let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's tell people about that treasure, about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to your people Israel and for your people here this morning at Christ Church who for so long have been a nation living in unbelief and in rebellion to the truth of the gospel. We thank you for your long-suffering and mercy and the assurance that they will one day fulfill the work that you have called them to do to be your witness to a world that is lost in sin and to know and believe that you are Lord. 
Father, we thank you that in your grace you called out the gentles and the people for your name to tell forth the good news of the gospel of grace until the day when Israel proclaims the gospel of the kingdom and acknowledges Jesus as their Messiah and Lord. So, Father, my prayer for this church this morning is that we, we do not, with all that treasure, to ourselves, that we go out this Christmas and tell everybody about the birth of Christ, not just Christmas and twinkling stars and lights and food and everything that people think Christmas is about, but actually to tell them of a little child who was born in the chaos and the darkness of this world. A child is, is our Messiah and our King. But people need to know about that Messiah and King. In, in a world where it seems even more difficult, because we're a free country, it seems even more difficult to tell people why we celebrate Christmas. So let us as a church go out and do your work to evangelise and tell people about you so that we don't with all that treasure to ourselves, we go out and we tell people about that treasure, which is you, Lord. So just come on this church this Christmas. Come on this church this Advent, but let that word and that gospel message spread even further and let us be the channels that spread that gospel message. We ask this in your name, I pray. Amen. Amen.